How does a food museum deal with its museum side as opposed to its food side? Who designs exhibits, handles the look of the museum, creates a way to interact with the artifacts? It's on tip of the tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here with photographer and designer Isabella Benz. She is media and communications manager at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. We're talking to her today about what she does in her job. So, Isa, how long have you been at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum? I've been working there, um, I think, almost a year and a half now. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, what, what brought you there? I started at the museum as an intern, um, part of my Tier 2 service learning for Tulane, which is a graduation requirement. So, for that, you have the option of, of volunteering with pretty much any organization, or taking a class where you would volunteer. But I was really interested in, there's this one class called the museum internship class. I really wanted to intern for a museum because I find museums fascinating. And so I joined this class, which was mainly art majors. And so most of the museums on the list were art museums. And not only was everybody kind of vying for these other museums, but I saw Southern Food and Beverage Museum on the list, and I'd always wanted to go there since I came to New Orleans. But um, I was like, this museum just sounds so much fun. And so it was first on my list, and I was like, I hope that nobody else chooses this museum. And then nobody else chose it. Well, I don't know. But I ended up getting the museum, and I was really excited. So then I came. And I met Maddie, and she was the first person who introduced me to everyone. Actually, came in, Maddie introduced me to you and Brent at the beginning, and I, you guys were talking about something, but I was like, the the banter, I was like, huh, this is funny, but you know, it's kind of awkward because I just walked in, and I don't know any of you, so I can't really, um, you know, add to it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but or say anything, but just kind of listen, and I was like, this seems like a pretty cool place. And then I talked to her about what I wanted to do my internship about. And she was pretty much like, well, what do you like? And I said, I really love branding. And so, and she also needed help with the podcast network. And so we decided that I would do the branding for the podcast network. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Then um, at the end of my internship, I was almost done with the branding and I I really, you know, I, I also wasn't ready to leave the museum yet. And so I went over to everyone and I was like, hey, guys, (laughs) I have this idea. (laughs) What if what if I continue? What if I don't leave? And um, it was a little bit crazy of me, but that's okay because I'm still here. And I just continue to work on new projects and every project that I work on, I get a little bit more comfortable with what I do. And my first exhibit being the Filipino exhibit here at Nunez Community College in our research center. 
and we're now working on developing some new exhibits that are really exciting and I've seen that as I go along I'm getting more confident in my abilities and just seeing where where I can take it. <laughs> so I also know that you are working with Bloomberg Philanthropies. Tell us about that project. Yes. So we are so, so lucky that Bloomberg Philanthropies has, for one thing, an app called Bloomberg Connects, where they have museums and different galleries and gardens all over the world on this app. And it's really interesting because you can go through. I was showing one of our interns the other day. I was going through it. And you can, even if you're, I said, if you're going to Prague, you can look up Prague on the app and be like, oh, let me see which museums are in Prague. And you can go and check them out before you go visit somewhere. But you can also just explore museums on your own from your house if you'd like to. Another aspect of the app is that it augments your in-person experience. So as you're walking through, you can get some oral histories, you can get some more information about the artifacts that are in the museum or the different galleries or if there's um an art installation from an artist you can get a lot more context or even maybe see a video from that artist without for one thing the museum having to put all of that infrastructure within the galleries and the exhibits but also it's a, it's a bit more convenient for you and so we are going to be joining this app very soon which is really exciting and um, basically, so what I'm trying to do is, for one thing, have this as an opportunity for people to learn about the museum, to maybe even do some research on our artifacts or different things from wherever. Because one of the most limiting factors that we have right now is, you know, just getting people to the museum. Not everybody lives in New Orleans and not everybody wants to come to New Orleans, you know, but everybody should have the opportunity to learn about food in the way that we study it, which is something that I think is very, it's not specifically unique to us, but it's something that makes us very special. And so I want to give people that opportunity. But also while they're in the museum, I want them to, to give them the opportunity to learn more. So the app is something that you can look at on a computer as well as on your phone? I'm not sure if you can look at it on a computer. Okay. That's something that I'd have to look into, but I do know that you can look at it on your phone. And so another nice thing about it is that, so each museum has their own guide within the app. And so that's what I mean when I refer to like our space on the app is our guide. And so it, when you enter the museum, quote unquote, through the app, it downloads the whole guide. So as you're walking through, you also don't have to deal with Wi-Fi related issues or different things. So that's also very convenient, but... So tell me, if I wanted to look at it, mm -hmm. do I like go into a search engine and put in Bloomberg Connects, or do I go to the App Store and put in Bloomberg Connects? So you could do either. Okay. You can go into a search engine, look up Bloomberg Connects. It should have some options from there. I just haven't looked into the, the website version of it as much yet. Um, but then if you look at the App Store, it is an app. So you can download the app just from there. Then from within the app, you can scroll through all the museums that they have, or you can just search SoFab and we'll, we'll come up. 
So someone could do that and download the app in the museum even to have Mm -hmm. supplemental information beyond what it already tells you in the museum. Yeah, so we're putting QR codes around the museum so that you could even, you don't even have to look anything up. You can just scan the QR code and download the app. And I'm trying to see if we can make a QR code directly to our page, but I'm not sure if that's possible yet. So what is the first thing that got put into the app? The first exhibit that has been uh, more or so completely put into the app is uh, our Museum of the American Cocktail. So that's really exciting because for one thing, we didn't have as much of a, of a record of everything that we had there. <laughs> so it gave us an opportunity to digitize everything and take pictures of all of our artifacts. But it also gave me the opportunity to redesign the in-person exhibit while I was doing this online exhibit. So you saw me take everything down and <laughs> go up on the ladders and paint everything like a crazy person. And it took me about a week and a half, but I did it. So I took all the artifacts down. I separated it by, and this is how I've also separated it within the app, is, well, I worked with you to create different chapters in cocktail history. So there's before cocktails, the beginning of cocktails, temperance and prohibition, um, post-prohibition, the rebirth and resurgence of cocktail culture, tiki well we named it tiki time but that's um goes into talking about tiki culture and that sort of escapism aspect of um entertainment in during that time and then now we're working on formulating the today section but so on the wall itself on the physical wall in the museum i painted each of them different colors they also associate with um our new motac branding so motac being the museum of the american cocktail we have our little pink elephant logo, which you actually described to me, <laughs> helped make make sense of it. Um, and so what what was the confusion? Well, see, I, I had not known what the connection between pink elephants and cocktails was. <laughs> I, I thought it, I, I honestly had no idea how you guys came up with the pink elephant. <laughs> I was just like, oh, this is a really cute elephant. (laughs) But now I understand that it was that if you were drunk or intoxicated, you saw little pink elephants floating around you, (laughs) which um, is so cute. And I love that. It's kind of like a little circus going on in your head. You have to find, um, probably on YouTube, you wouldn't Mm. have any trouble finding it, some of the old cartoons that would have had those pink elephants in them. Oh, that's um, awesome. Because if somebody in a in a a cartoon was drinking too much and became drunk, then these pink elephants and sometimes they were black and white cartoons, but mm. you knew they were pink uh-huh. uh, would walk across the screen. That's awesome. And so you knew that the person was drunk because of that. Huh. That's like now when they have like bubbles around somebody. Yes. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. I wonder when they stopped doing that. I don't know. We'll have to look up the story of the pink elephant. Yeah, we should definitely have that. <laughs> That's the next part that we should put into Motak. But yeah, no. So now um, you can go through and everything's laid out in a way that as you walk through the exhibit. And this is what I'm trying to do with the rest of 
the storytelling aspect of other things as well. Um, that you don't have to search for the story or the meaning. It kind of is something that you take in as you walk. So you can see the delineation between the different chapters in the exhibit. So that's, that's very exciting. And then I also put those chapters in the app. So as you walk around, you can also look more, there will be lookup numbers on the wall where the artifacts are. So you can look up those numbers in the app and then get more information about the different artifacts. And it's better than having that information just directly on the wall because for one thing, not everybody can read that far away. And it's there's a lot of artifacts on not as much space on the wall that it would need to have the information that you would want to about every artifact. So that's something that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when do you anticipate that it will go live? So we're working now with Bloomberg on our copy editing and making sure that everything is perfect and sorted and ready for everyone to see. So it should be going live within the next week or so, couple of weeks. Uh, that's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's really, really exciting. Good. And once we go live, we'll be working on adding our other exhibits into it. For example, the Gumbo Garden, which you're working on. Yes, <laughs> yes. So what's literally what's next in the, in the app after the Museum of the American Cocktail? So next, we're actually also working with the Heritage Fire Tours to um, make installations in their, where they're nonprofit partner. So we're, we'll have installations in their festivals around the country. And so we want to include our Trail of Smoke and Fire, which is something that we've already had at the museum, but as its own exhibition so that people, which it follows barbecue, the history of barbecue. And um, so people at the festivals which it's not strictly a barbecue festival, it's things cooked with fire, but you know, trail of smoke and fires. Mm -hmm. Things also cooked with fire, so yes. you can learn more about that as you're walking around. And um, so that'll be very exciting. That will have installations, I said, as I mentioned, around the festivals. But then we'll also be putting, as I said, the gumbo garden. And I want to put in a section about our bar, the Brunswick Bar, which is from Brunings, and the third oldest bar in New Orleans, which is so cool. <laughs> and I want to give other people from other places an opportunity to learn about not only that bar specifically, but also the histories of the bars themselves. Well, so what is so special about a Brunswick Bar? <laughs> well, for one thing, do they make bars anymore? Do you know? No, they don't. Yeah, so now they make pool tables, bowling equipment, stuff like that, that, I mean, I've always been um, familiar with, but I never knew they made bars, apparently. That's the way they started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the way that you described it was that they, you'd order a catalog, or a bar from a catalog, they'd send it to you in pieces, kind of like Ikea, and you build it yourself. Except this one survived being underwater for three um, weeks during That's Hurricane right. Katrina. Yes. So that's just a testament also to how to the quality of the materials that they used, which is really impressive. And um, also, you know how older things sometimes are better quality. <laughs> and I also think that it was easier to put it back together mm -hmm. because it was designed to be disassembled and put back together. 
Yeah. And it might have been really disastrous if that hadn't been the case. That is so true. Because things would have swelled in different ways or warped in different ways. And this this was designed to be mm-hmm. disassembled after the pieces were put together and then reassembled in place. Yeah, which is just something that's also so cool about it that other people don't know. But so basically, these stories that we have, the more specific stories that wouldn't make sense really for their own full exhibition within the museum, we could delve into deeper in the app. And also, I want to have, like we're doing with the Trail of Smoke and Fire, I want to have something that's maybe on the history of whiskey, how whiskey goes through the different states and becomes different things in different places as time goes by. But these very interesting stories, like I said, that wouldn't have their own exhibits, but that you can also follow in the app as you walk around the museum to the different states. Well, soon... There's going to be the annual Tales of the Cocktail. So since we're working on the Museum of the American Cocktail part of the app, we should get some of those cocktail specialists who are in town for Tales of the Cocktail to come by the museum and perhaps read something into the app. Because you can put audio and and video in there, can't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and that would be... So great. Such a great opportunity for people that, you know, those experts aren't always at the museum and they're probably not at the museum at the same time that most other people are at the museum. And so that just gives such an added depth to what you're learning, Mm -hmm. too. That's really, really exciting. We could do that to almost every exhibit (laughs) and get specialists who are in town to... uh, to record something about the exhibit. That would be great. Exactly. And if people aren't even in town, they could record something and send it to us. Or even if we were, you know, talking on a podcast. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) So what other kinds of things are you working on at the museum? So right now, once the barbecue and the, the app is finished we're also working on new exhibits in our um changing exhibits yeah in our rotating exhibit space so that one we're working with zella palmer from dillard university and um i think it's called pop pot liquors and revolutions or pot liquors and rebellion but that one's going to be really really cool and i mean i can't speak on everything that's in it yet because to be honest i haven't even fully read the text but it's it's going to be um, very interactive within the museum. And I'm excited to see how that translates to the app, too. That sounds really, really exciting. I know you've been helping me with my new Substack <laughs> newsletter. That's true. <laughs> I appreciate everything that you've done because I am just not intuitive about learning new applications but that's all right i get comfortable after a while but in the very beginning i get very frustrated very fast i think part of it is just age (laughs) (laughs) i watch my granddaughter she looks at something and she tries every single button Mm. she she has no problem with doing that and i find that to be very unsatisfying (laughs) partially because even if i find something that I need, 
I don't remember what button I just pressed mm-hmm. to even have it be helpful. Yeah. Because the fact that I found it doesn't do me any good if I can't remember how I got there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting, too, how how in- intuitive or not intuitive that would be. You really kind of have to get into the mind of the person who designed the page, which is wild. Like we were just talking about in the create a cookbook class that you've been working on that's been really cool is um how to translate recipes into a way that would be that you can pass down to your family members and family members like something that I thought of when I was talking in that class was that so my dad is Puerto Rican and my mom is American she's from Iowa and my mom when she first was I guess dating or married to my dad I don't know when um my grandma my dad's mom which who I call Abu she would cook and my mom and she never used recipes but everything she makes is just fabulous it's mm-hmm. just so 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 good and you know it's something that you just get over time you're like oh you have to put enough of that or enough of that or whatever so my mom is a very methodical thinker and so she would get a pad of paper and just follow my grandma and be like um looks like about a teaspoon of this and a teaspoon of that and then you have to also you have to do this and then stir it in a certain way and then add a little bit more just just write everything she could about what my grandma was doing while she was cooking so that because my grandma could write something down and send it to my mom but it wouldn't be the recipe all of the detail wouldn't be there exactly or it, it even wouldn't be in a way, it would be in a way that would make sense to my grandma, but mm-hmm. not necessarily to my mom. Mm-hmm. And so that's just such an interesting thing that I've been thinking about too is, you know, that translates to everything. Like what what I'm working on around the museum is the storytelling aspect because we have all of these really fascinating and cool and, and um, important stories that we tell. But the question is, how do we share that with people in a way that kind of tricks them into learning (laughs) (laughs) you know you're just like looking at something it's almost like watching a movie and you accidentally learn like watching a world war ii movie and you accidentally learned this one interesting detail about world war ii that you wouldn't have known you would could have read it in a book but it's because you're involved in this storyline you know And so that's kind of an interesting way that I found myself using my marketing background Mm -hmm. in this more scholarly way, Mm -hmm. which is um, something that I really enjoy doing because, you know, you're selling it, of course, but you're not just selling a product for somebody to buy. You're selling information to people and um, these different lessons. So that's, I mean, you ask what's next. So that's what I want to do around the museum is just figure out how we can share all these stories with people in the best and easiest way possible and so they can tell people and they can tell people and then soon and like at some point you know it just becomes common common knowledge to study food as a scholarly subject oh i can't (laughs) wait till that is the day i just you know how i feel about the fact that we've gone so long between studying food and the search for food in the earliest days of anthropology and archaeology and all of that is well documented in natural history museums and then with this belief that people had at one point that once there was agriculture people 
suddenly were able to develop civilization as though there was no <laughs> civilization before mm-hmm. agriculture. And then they act like once there was agriculture, there's no need to study the search for food. Exactly. And they simply have forgotten how food is involved in culture and art and everything. Mm-hmm. And I find that to be, an, I, it just actually annoys me <laughs> that people have let all these hundreds of years go by without really documenting what was happening in food at all you know it's because we take it for granted yes Mm -hmm. because i mean wars are definitely very important and they're these big grandiose things where people fight and die and and your life is on the line and we document famines and like the irish potato famine um and what they did there but we don't really document times when food is in surplus and it's Mm -hmm. because we don't you know it's in surplus we it's there all the time but when i explain people to people um the museum i will say you know when i explain how we how we take things for granted i'll say that you know when you invite somebody over to your house when they come in you offer them a cup of coffee or tea, or water, or something. Or wine. (laughs) Or wine, exactly. And what you're offering changes depending on, for one thing, who they are to you, um, who you are, like where you are in the classes. If you have access to a butler who can make a tray of of tiny little hors d'oeuvres, then you could be like, oh, would you like an an hors d'oeuvre? But if if you're me and you can't do that, you're like, hey, you want some water? (laughs) Can I get you a cracker i don't know but you know that even is something that's such a cultural signifier Mm -hmm. that like i said it's who the person is to you who you are what you have where you are what you're used to you know and um what you give people gives them that sort of signal you know but so it's something that's so deeply ingrained in us that we just need to help people to realize how important it is yes And I do actually think that when people come to the museum, they find it to be something more exciting than they anticipated. Yes. And that's always nice. (laughs) Um, But I also think that there's something that attracts them to it so that people will stop at the end and say, you didn't cover this. I really care about this. Mm -hmm. And... Sometimes you can say to them, and can you send us something that represents that? And they do. Yeah. Not not long ago, maybe, well, you were there when mm-hmm. this man came this week <laughs> and brought us a cup, a plastic cup with a straw in it. And I just thought, isn't that amazing that whoever came, well, it was his father who emailed me and said, my son lives in New Orleans. I'm going to make sure he comes by and brings this to you. And that was a way for them to participate in the museum, which I think is just a, an added benefit about being a part of the museum. I love that people feel that that they can contribute to it and they want to be part of it. I I love that. It's so great. And it shows that we're making sense to them. Yes. You know, they're like, you're not, you missed this other thing that's also valuable. You know, food is valuable. Yes. Add this to the story because the story matters. Yes. 
Yes. And that's just such a cool thing. It is. It is. And everybody can own it because everybody eats. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, hopefully. Yes, yes, yes. That, that's one of the most satisfying things to me is that people give us things that mm-hmm. they want us to share with other people. And they want to be part of making the record. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's really cool, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. And being able to open people's eyes to that is also really cool. Yes, yes. Well, thank you very much for being on the podcast, Isa. It's been a lot of fun to talk to you. Thank you for having me, Liz. <laughs> this has been really fun. So I'll see you next week. I'll see you on Monday. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.